Well, there's a lot going on in our church, a lot of special things. I'm so excited about the movie, so excited about what Harvest is doing to impact the culture and the world around us in many ways. Um, I also want to remind you that we are all as a church very excited about what's going on in the lives of Mike and Terry Kiowski. Mike Mike was one of our elders uh, for several years and he's been here from the beginning and he and Terry are preparing to move to Romania to strengthen our church plants there. And they're going to go as soon as they are fully funded. We are their sending church. God is raising up men and women in our church to send them off to do special assignments. It's a healthy thing. So in two weeks, we are going to take up an offering for Mike and Terry. Um, They have to raise, I think it's around $65,000 that they have to raise. And they are about $40,000 toward their goal. Isn't that exciting? But they still have a ways to go. So I would love for everybody who calls this church home for you to at least plan on giving a one-time gift to Mike and Terry to support the work they're going to do in Romania in two weeks. But also, really what they need is they need a wide group of people who are willing to do something on a regular monthly basis. That'll sustain them for their first two-year commitment. So let's give a one-time gift to get them there. Then as you're able, consider making a two-year commitment of some monthly amount so that uh, they will know that they have a wide base of supporters. That's going to be in two weeks. Um, So uh, we will bring that to your attention uh, also in a few weeks. Also, make sure that you prioritize the movie. I've seen the movie. It's a good movie. I'm not going to lie and tell you it's going to win an Oscar. It's not going to win an Oscar. Nobody is going to win an Oscar in the movie because it's the first movie Harvest has ever made. But it's a good movie. It is a movie that positively shows what a healthy church is like, and so many people in our world have never seen it. And so it's great. There's some great actors in it, uh, and I would just encourage you to make it a priority to get there, to enjoy it. Don't be a critic. Don't sit there like Roger Ebert and be like, well, how many stars will I give it? It's not about that. It's about opening a new frontier as a way for our movement to impact the culture, and I hope you will support that and see uh, just how vital that is. All right, we're moving into the sermon now, and the sermon series is called Find Your Voice. The topic is LGBT, lesbian, gay, bi, and and transgender issues, part three. Part three, we're picking this back up. If you are a visitor, a guest, uh, or you haven't been around for this series, all the sermons are rated like PG-13 plus, plus. So if if you're like, should I keep my kids in here or whatever, I'm just going to tell you that it's grown-up stuff, all right? Adult content. Uh, for the whole series. Um, and so we've got another two weeks on LGBT issues, and then we have two weeks on racism and violence. Uh, the whole series can be found online. If you missed out on LGBT part one, we traced the history of the um, homosexuality movement. We saw how our culture got to where it is right now. And then we, and then we presented the basic bookends of how we are to relate to the issue and talk about the issue. Then part two, we dug down on what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. So if if you're longing to know what the Bible has to say and what what position does this church take on that, we've already been there. We've already done that. So uh, let there be no confusion. If you're sitting around today like, when's he going to say what the church... I already did it. So last week or uh, before the Christmas break, uh, we covered in depth what the Bible says about this topic. So you can find both those sermons online. Today, we are going to ask the question, how can we share our convictions with compassion? With compassion. Today, the whole goal is how do we have better conversations? 
when the issue comes up, if you have the chance to listen or to say one thing or ten things, or are you prepared to have a great conversation when this issue comes up? Or do you get quiet or do you get loud and obnoxious? Let's learn how to have better conversations when this hot topic comes up. That's the whole goal for today. Next week, uh, we will talk about uh, when LGBT issues encroach on your freedoms. How do I handle that? Next week's going to be a much more truth-filled message of what happens when this topic enters into my profession or the lives of my children or their school or, or my church. We're going to cover all of that next week. This week, we're just asking, how do we have gracious conversations? We're asking it humbly because we admit that as a church, we haven't always done well talking about this topic. So that's the goal for today. Well, let me begin by asking you this question. How many of you have ever heard of Ray Bolt? Ray Bolt, popular Christian singer from the late 80s and early 90s. How many of you have ever heard of Ray Bolt? Raise up your hand nice. There he is. It's okay to laugh at 80s fashion and haircuts. We all lived it, and artwork. <laughs> Ray Bolt was a popular Christian artist. Um, do you know the name of his first major hit from 1990? Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? Thank you. Thank you. Good job, Renee. Thank you. You've probably, if you've been in the church for a while, loved and cherished that song. You know how it goes? Thank you. Were you at a concert? Did you go to the concert? It was a precious song. And it filled the church with this emotional moment. It's about a child who says thank you to the Sunday school teacher for making a difference in their life. So he became a famous Christian pop artist in 1990 and um, sold millions of records. That was back in the day where you had to go to the store. And you had to actually buy a record or a cassette or a compact disc, which was a newfangled device. Then you had to bring it home and unwrap it before you could listen to it. Times have changed. And yet millions of people did it because they love the music. Well, Ray, in 2004, began to open up to his family about a secret that he had, that he had been bearing in private for a long time. He was gay. And he was afraid that if he would tell anyone, it would ruin his life ruin his career. And he announced to his wife, she said, what's wrong? Something's wrong with you. And he said, I think if I tell you, you won't love me anymore. And it was in 2004 that he told his wife and his four children that he was gay. It was in 2008 that he came out publicly and announced that he was gay. And then soon after that, he divorced his wife after 33 years to go and be with his new partner. What did he say in a magazine when he was interviewed about this? He said this, this is what it really comes down to. If this is the way God made me, then this is the way I'm going to live. It's not like God made me this way and he'll send me to hell if I am who he created me to be. I really feel closer to God because I no longer hate myself. What would you say if someone said that to you? Do you feel prepared to have a conversation with someone in the church who says that? What if it's someone outside the church and they tell you why they're living this lifestyle, and they really don't have any religious reasons. They just, this is who they are. Are you ready to talk about it and to be respectful and truthful? I think we could all grow in this. How do we share our convictions with compassion in the church and in the world? 
You may have the opportunity to talk to someone who is privately processing their feelings and they haven't told many people or anyone about it. What a gift that is for you to talk with them. You may have the chance to influence someone who's being honest and open about their feelings, but still undecided how they're going to respond to them. You may have the chance to talk to someone or with someone or about someone who has come out as gay and they see it as a brave choice, the only honest way to love themselves. You may have the chance to relate to someone who is disillusioned because their lives are full of broken relationships and unfilled promises as they follow this lifestyle. Are you ready to talk? Are you ready to talk lovingly? That's the goal for today. We're going to get right into it because we already prayed. Uh, the, ver the verses from today will all be projected on the screen. We're going to go to several different places. And um, the first thing I want to remind us is if we're going to share our convictions with compassion, we have to remember what our convictions are. So write this down, number one, what are your convictions? And I'm going to remind us, this is just a review, so we'll go through it very quickly, but uh, last fall or a little while ago when we went through this series of how to share our faith, um, it's called I Don't Know Where to Start, we, we talked about how when any moral conversation comes up, it's always good to speak from the Christian worldview. The worldview means how you view the whole of the story. And there are four big words that are associated with worldview. The first one is origin. What do we believe about the beginning of things? And you can jot this down in your bulletin. God designed us to reflect his image through his son. That's our conviction. God designed us to reflect his image through his son. How did God design us to live? What went wrong? Life is all about reflecting the image of Jesus Christ. God gave us life in Christ, and God gave us new life in Christ. So our life comes from God, and we are made in His image. When the topic of origin came, comes up, we have to be ready to go back before a person's birth to ask the question, how was I made? Where is the design for my life? Origin. The next word is meaning. Origin, meaning. Why am I here? Why? We believe that we exist to love and serve Jesus and others. What do we live for? So many people live for themselves. The highest aspiration of their life is to be true to themselves. We live for the glory of another. This world is not a banquet in our honor. We live here for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We wake up every morning to glorify Him, to bring pleasure to Him, to honor Him. That's the meaning. That's why we're here. We'll put those two back up if you miss the blanks. But the third big word is morality. Uh, Jesus, we believe, is the only solution to our problem with evil. We think we all have a problem with evil, and we think Jesus is the only solution. Every one of every belief system and every religion and every creed needs to answer these questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? How do you determine right and wrong? How do you define and solve the problem of evil? And Jesus is the word in every one of these sentences. He's the only solution to our problem with evil. God has a moral law. It's found in his word. It was validated by Jesus the judge. And only Christ has fulfilled the law as Savior and Lord at the cross. And then the fourth word is destiny. Where is it all going? We believe Jesus alone can bring us to a glorious future in heaven. This is our comprehensive view of everything in the world. 
When a topic comes up that's so emotionally charged, you have to step back and say, what issue are we talking about? So let me give you a little quiz here. If someone were to say to you, this is the way God made me, what major worldview word are they talking about? What major worldview word of the four are they talking about? Origin. Instantly, you should pull up that file, remind yourself what we believe about origin, and talk from that conviction. Otherwise, you'll get swept up in the emotions or the movements of the culture. What if someone were to say to you, it's none of your business who I love? What word is that reflecting of the four? Morality. You have no right to tell me what to do. That's a moral statement. It's a moral judgment. I have the right to tell myself right and wrong, and you don't. That's a moral claim. What about what, about what Ray Bolt said when he said, it's not like God made me this way and he'll send me to hell if I am who he created me to be. What? There's a few here, but what worldview words is he talking about? Destiny, where's it all going? He's making a moral judgment about destiny. And morality is included too. What is God's moral law? If you don't figure out what you believe in these four categories, you're like a cow on the ice. And anyone can come along and slide you and skid you in any direction. You need to know what's nailed down in your heart. And it's not enough to say, well, everybody has their own. You need an answer to these four questions. And the truth is, everyone has an answer. It's just a matter of time before they cough it up. Everyone believes certain things about these four. We have convictions that are based on the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have to know your convictions, then you can share them with compassion. So that's the first question. What are my convictions? Number two, how can I have effective conversations? The first, like, third or half of the sermon will just be the first two points, then the second half of the sermon will be point three, all right? So that's the structure of this, so you know what to prepare for. How can I have effective conversations? How can I talk with people who are really living this? And how can I talk about people when they're not around, when this topic comes up? You can jot this down. You have to know when to say nothing. That's the first one. Know when to say nothing. Not my business, not my turn. Not welcome. No one to say nothing. Well, is that biblical? See, sometimes truth people, I'm a truth person. Maybe you're a grace person, maybe you're a truth person. I'm, I'm more tipping toward the truth side. So see, people like me, if we're honest, feel like someone has to say something. You know, this is on any topic. We feel like if a conversation comes up, you know, God expects us to say something. And so when a conversation comes, maybe it's on social media, people are lighting up Facebook about a certain topic, and you're like, I need to say something. And uh, not true, not true, that you always have to say something. Sometimes truth people feel like they're sinning because they're not saying anything. No one's saying it. I'm going to say it. Hey, listen, truth people, listening is loving. It's often the case that God's will for your mouth is to remain shut. Often. Well, you got any scripture to back that up? Yeah, Proverbs 18, 13 says this. You might want to tattoo it on your chin. 
If one gives an answer before he hears it, it is his folly and his shame. Talk before you listen. Folly. Shame. That convicts me because I feel the need to say something. When a topic comes up, I know right away what I think about it, and I kind of know how I want to say it. I have to bite my tongue and remind myself that listening is loving. Recently, I heard that Ellen, who is a well-known homosexual, uninvited a gospel Christian artist to her show because of this woman's stance on LGBT issues. And I was mortified. That's unfair. How could she do that? And I felt the need to say something. But instead, I read the story to find out what really happened. Because listening is loving. And I come to find out that this gospel singer uh, got on the microphone in her church and went on a rant. And as I listened to this woman and what she said, I was shocked. I was like thinking... Someone take the mic away from her. Someone take the mic away from her. No, stop. She was vulgar. She was shameful. She was heartless. She was ignorant. And I was embarrassed on behalf of Christians everywhere. See, I didn't know the facts. And here I was about to grab my pitchfork and and be like, how unfair that a Christian would be uninvited. And then I'm just like, someone please sit down with this woman. Tell her what it means to talk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We have to know when to say nothing. We have to know when not to talk. Hey, listen, let me just challenge you. Watch what you say. Don't ever condemn a person for how they live. Don't ever mock a person or belittle them or joke about them or condescend or lecture or rant as if you're talking about someone who is less of a sinner than you. That's a disgrace to the Savior who was pierced for your transgressions. To act like someone has a problem greater than your own. Hell is your fault. Do you know that? Do you know that? Hell is your fault. Who are you to talk so mercilessly about a person who needs the same Savior you do? Check your heart. Check it. I'm preaching this to myself. Hey, no one to say nothing. Next, no one to say something. See, now I'm going to talk to the grace people. Well, it's not my place. They didn't ask me for my opinion. Oh, if I say something, I'll say it wrong. So I'm just going to, and I'm going to say nothing. Just like I always do. Because that's safe. Hey, listen, sometimes you have to know when to say something. High schoolers, when you're in a class, the topic comes up and a teacher says, There's no room for hate in this classroom. Could you have the courage to raise up your hand and say, excuse me, is disagreement always automatically hatred? Or can people disagree and love each other at the same time? Are you willing to say something when the time arises? I remember when I was in college, someone said, We're not allowed to tell anyone else what they should believe. And I raised my hand up and I said, about anything? Because what if someone comes into our house and thinks our possessions belong to them? Can I tell that person what they believe is untrue? And she changed what she was saying. Well, well, right, maybe maybe we need to agree that there are some things that are wrong. Right. 
That's how everyone lives. We all hold everyone else to a moral code. We do. But are you willing to say something graciously? 1 Peter 3.15 calls us and commands us to do this. It says, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, point to where we have to obey this command. Are you doing it? This is an interactive sermon. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always ready when you have the opportunity to take it. Hey, no one to say nothing, no one to say something. And then when you open your mouth, write this down, be incredibly careful with your tone and with your vocabulary. Um, when I was an elementary school teacher, we did this thing called the sloppy copy. The first draft, when they, the teachers are laughing, they know what that is, because the first copy of what an elementary school child writes is never the best copy. Okay, and in your mind, the first draft of what you're about to say is usually never the best draft. So write the sloppy copy silently. Then crumple it up and throw it away. Then say the second thing that comes to your mind. Be so careful. Don't blurt it out or be quick or fire it like a bullet. You know, if you're typing in all caps, you're probably going to say something bad. All right, so caps lock off. Then continue. Be incredibly careful with your tone and your vocabulary. I asked a man in our church whose son came out of the closet several years ago, his grown son. I said, hey, can you just give me some advice? You're living this. Um, people in our church, when they have a chance to talk to someone who's in this lifestyle, what advice would you give? And he said this. He said, never condone the behavior. Never harshly condemn the person. And I love this. He said, never lose hope that God is working in a person's life. Wow. He's speaking from experience. That's great advice. Solid gold. How can I have effective conversations? Well, no one to say nothing, no one to say something, and be incredibly careful with your tone and vocabulary when it comes up. Now, I know what you want more help with, me too. Okay, what about when specific things come up? What do I say when specific things come up? Because I don't know what to say. All right, that's where we're going now. Number three, write this down, and we'll be here for a little while. Be ready to discuss common topics. These are the big ones that will come up time and time again. Be ready to discuss common topics. Um, these common topics are conversation killers if you don't know how to respond to them. Okay? Meaning if you don't know how to respond, it stops the conversation instantly. Uh, so the first one is this. I was born this way. Or maybe you're not talking to someone who's in this lifestyle. You're talking about so someone else in your life. Well, you know what? They're born that way, and so that, that's how they were made. If you don't know how to respond to that topic, it ends the conversation right there. Because if someone believes that this is genetic uh, or divinely intended, they are much more likely to support it. Uh, even if they don't live it, they're, they're more likely to look favorably upon someone who's living out this lifestyle if they really think that it is genetic, biological, God-given. And a person, even who grows up in the church, who comes to the conclusion that this was there from the start is much more likely to embrace it as part of who they are and who God wanted them to be. 
Whereas if they have a different view of the origin of this issue, they're more likely to have a different opinion of how it should affect their lives. So it's a crucial thing that you need to know how to talk about. I was born this way. Lady Gaga, we have a picture of her, made the song famous, uh, Born This Way. She's headlining the Super Bowl this year. You and millions of others of people will hear it. It is the national anthem of the LGBT movement. Born this way. Born this way. I was born this way. Starts out with her saying, whether you love him or capital H-I-M. And she goes on to say, meaning God or a man. Doesn't matter. Um, what do I say when this topic comes up? I was born this way. Here's what we would say. Uh, there is no evidence that only one factor causes same-sex attraction. There is no evidence that one factor causes same-sex attraction. In fact, there are many theories of origin, and if you assume that only one of them is the cause, you run into trouble. Because every person living this lifestyle you talk to has a different story. They don't tell the same story. When they started feeling this way, how they processed it, where it came from, they don't agree. So you run into trouble when you think there is one cause. The truth is many factors contribute to our sexuality. We are shaped by our biology. It would be hard for you if you are dogmatic about this to say biology has nothing to do with it. I wouldn't say that because you can't prove that. I would be more sober-minded than that and say, you know what, I think there are many factors that contribute to a person's sexuality. Biology is one of them. Upbringing is another. People who have counseled thousands of men and women in the homosexual lifestyle will tell you time and again there are patterns, not rules, patterns of upbringing that contribute to a person walking into this lifestyle. These are not determining patterns because some things that happen to people who are living in the gay lifestyle also happen to people who are not. So again, upbringing does not, is not the one single factor. It's how they're raised. It's not the one single factor. Something happened to them. It's not the only thing that explains why they walk into this lifestyle. But it does contribute. Upbringing, biology, society is another one. Well, society keeps telling them to live this way. Of course they're going to walk into... Society is one thing that contributes to it, but it's not the only thing. Some people in the church take the view that it's all spiritual. They're giving in to temptation. It's a spiritual thing. They have a choice. It has nothing to do with biology, nothing to do with their upbringing. They're just giving in to temptation. Don't be dogmatic about that. Biology, upbringing, society, spirituality, psychology all contribute to a person's sexuality. And I would just really challenge you not to be, not to act like this is a black and white issue. And if anyone acts like it's a black and white issue, simply say, hey, you know what? Judging by the stories we've heard of people in and out of this lifestyle, there's no evidence that one single factor causes same-sex attraction. Many factors contribute to our sexuality. It's a very healthy-minded and easy-to-back-up position. 
This is a statement about origin. So the file of origin should open up in your mind whenever this topic comes up. What is our view on origin? God designed us to reflect his image through his son. God designed us, and he did it to reflect his image through his son. Therefore, I don't look back to my birth to find out how God made me who, who I am. I look before that. I look to the dawn of creation, to how God made the first man and woman, to find out how I was born, how I'm designed. You'll hear people say, well, if something feels so natural, it must be God's will, right? Wrong. If it was there when I was born, it must be God's will and it must be natural, right? Wrong. When you look back to the dawn of creation for God's will, you find that there are things in our hearts now that God didn't design to be there. You have to come up with an explanation for that. Humanity fell into sin. So we all feel attractions to things that displease God. We all do. We all feel attractions to things that displease God. It's not enough to say because it was even there from birth or because it came about later that it's natural and God intended. You can't say that according to the biblical view. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says this, there is a way that seems right to man. It seems right. It feels right. It sounds right. But its end is the way of death. Challenges us to rethink what we find in our hearts. Now listen, this is our way of lovingly respecting every individual story. I'm not going to tell you how you became gay. Listen, I'll tell you how it came about. It was your upbringing. I'm not going to tell you where this came from. At the same time, I'm not going to let anyone else tell me where it came from because I know my view of origin. But I'm going to listen. And I'm going to hear a different story with every person I talk to. Some experience same-sex attraction very early on. They can, they can report these feelings from very early on, even in early elementary school. Others say they didn't start feeling these things until later. Many people who are living the gay lifestyle have experienced sexual abuse of some form. Many of them have. Not all, but many. There are things that can create a predisposition to same-sex attraction. Sometimes a man or a woman doesn't fit in with society's stereotypical definition of gender. So they're teased and ridiculed by the boys or the girls. Uh, you're a tomboy, you're a queer, you don't fit in, you're not athletic, and, and therefore they start rewriting the definition of gender in their mind, and they feel like, well, maybe I just don't belong in this category because of what society is saying. Homosexuality often grows out of broken relationships. There's a pattern of women who become lesbians. There's a pattern that their relationship with their mother was broken. Men who walk into the gay lifestyle, there is a pattern time and time again that their relationship with their father was broken. This is a predisposition. It doesn't determine it, but it's just so regular that you can't ignore that it contributes. So there are things that lead to a person feeling these attractions. If you talk to people who are living in the lifestyle, they have different stories. Melissa Etheridge is a very well-known pop singer, one of the first to come out as a lesbian. She was asked by um, a magazine uh, what caused her lesbianism. She said this, my relationship with my mother. It was strained as a child, and I think that adds to my attraction to women 
It's about what I didn't get as a child, that female energy I craved. That's her story. You ask Ellen DeGeneres, she opened up in 2005 about the painful reality that her stepfather had sexually abused her. It was a contributing factor. There are many who were sexually abused who don't go down that path, so it's not a determining factor, but it often, often contributes to it. When you have the chance to listen to someone who would say, I was born this way, don't condemn, don't get dogmatic. Well, that's not true. You can't find the gay gene. Just be very careful. If you have the chance to listen and they let you in, find out where do these feelings come from? And find out what do you think about them? And find out how do you think you should respond to them? Three different topics. Where do you think they came from? What do you think about them? How do you think you should respond to them? Have a great conversation. Listen a lot. Be sober-minded. Be ready when someone says, I was born this way. The next one is this. This is a conversation killer. You know what? That's just your opinion. That's, it's a killer. You could, you could stand up for 40 minutes and share a comprehensive view, verse by verse, of what the Bible says about this topic, and someone can say, yeah, but that's just your opinion. Done. Go on. Everything you just said, swipe to the side. How do I respond? When someone, yeah, but that's just your opinion, and other people have different opinions. What do I say about that? This is uh, reflecting the view of moral relativism, which is you have your opinion, I have mine, and they're both equally true. Another way people can state this is it's none of your business. It's not just your opinion. It's not welcome. None of your business. You have no right to morally interfere with my life. This is a statement about morality. They are making a moral claim that everyone gets to decide their own truth for themselves. We disagree with that assumption. You have to know what's underneath what they're saying. What they're saying is everyone gets to, like Legos, assemble their truth for themselves. And you get your box and I get mine. We disagree with that assumption. Because what do we believe about morality? We think Jesus is the only solution to our problem with evil. We have a problem with evil. Jesus alone can solve it for all of us. God has a moral law. We're all under it. So I'm not trying to say my opinion is over yours. I'm saying God has a moral opinion. God's moral opinion is over everyone else's individual moral opinion. That's what we would say. Uh, how would they phrase this? Well, you know, there's two grown-ups who are consenting. Who are you to intrude on what they're doing? How do you, see, you're going to feel like you're being so unloving or unfair or condescending if you say anything after you're accused of elevating your opinion over another's. But that's not what you're doing. You're not claiming that your opinion is any better than anyone else's. You're claiming that God has a moral opinion. And you're under it. And so is everyone else. God has a moral opinion on all sexual behavior. Yours, theirs. Why? Because he designed it. And God holds everyone accountable to the exact same moral law. I'm not saying mine's better than yours. I'm saying we are all under God's moral law equally. That's what I'm saying. 
There is an absolute truth. We are all under it. In 1 John 1, 9 to 10, it says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. How does God feel when we assemble our own moral definitions, when we decide what's right and wrong for ourselves? Um, He feels like we're calling him a liar. That's how he feels. Just try that. Just try that. You're a liar! That's how he feels when we decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. So we need to be clear. God has a moral opinion, and if we disagree with him, he feels like we are calling him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's what makes the difference. I'm not better than you. I'm not smarter than you. I'm not more righteous than you. But if his word is in me, if his law is written on my heart, that's what makes me different from you. Another way to phrase this is, you know, that's, not, that's just your opinion. Uh, another way to phrase this is, how can you call love a sin? How can, how can you call love a sin? What would you do if that topic comes up? You're stuck. Well, how, how could I? Why would I call love a sin? It seems awfully wrong and unbiblical to call love a sin. How do you respond? You're stuck. Unless you understand that God has an opinion on every relationship in your life. Not me. I'm not calling your love a sin. But God has a moral opinion on every relationship in your life. He will hold you accountable for every relationship in your life, regardless of the intensity or the purity of your affections. How do you know that? Well, Matthew 10, 37 says this. Anyone who loves his father or mother, it's one of the big ten, honor your father or mother. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The love you have for your parents could make you unworthy of eternal life. What? My love for my parents can keep me from heaven? Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of... What? My love and affection for my girl can keep me out of heaven? Who you love, how you love, can cut you off from God if you don't love him first and foremost. Who are you to tell me my love is sin? How can you tell me who to love? Listen, I'm not. I'm not. But the Bible says that any love that replaces Christ as the governing force in your heart is a sin. Any love. So when someone says that's just your opinion, it's no business of yours, how can you tell me who to love? Just simply say, Jesus is the only solution to our problem with evil. And anything, anything can cut into our first love and loyalty to him. It's not my opinion. God has an opinion. He has an opinion on our sexual behavior and on our relationships. God has an opinion. Don't let that stop the conversation. Here's the next one. It's a conversation killer. You know what? You just don't understand. You can't. It, it shuts down the conversation. What do I say? 
it shuts it down because there is some truth to this. If you don't feel these attractions, if you haven't lived in this lifestyle, you, you don't understand what it's like. You don't know what it's like. So there's some truth to it. And you have to listen a lot to learn what it's like to be another person. In fairness, the person who is your family member or your friend, if they won't tell you, if they won't open up, if they won't talk to you about it, then you can't understand. That's not fair. And I would just challenge you, if this is you, if you feel attracted to the same sex, and if you're not talking to people about it, you're not giving them a fair chance to understand. You really shouldn't be all alone in this struggle. You really shouldn't be all alone in this. And I would just invite you to open up to someone this week. Open up to someone. If you're connected to this church, open up to your small group leader. Open up to me. Send me an email. Don't be alone. You don't have to be. You don't understand. You can't understand. Uh, How would we respond to this? Well, I would say this. Listen, there are many Christians who know firsthand what it's like to be you. Are you willing to listen to them? Here's a few books that we would just recommend um, from people who have been converted to Christ or have come back to Christ from this lifestyle. Uh, Christopher Ewan wrote a book called Out of a Far Country. He wrote it with his mom, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. Talks about it from the mom's perspective and the son's. Awesome book. The next one is by Joe Dallas. He was uh, an ordained minister, knew his Bible backwards and forwards, and then walked away from his ministry into the gay lifestyle. And then he came back, and he wrote a book called The Gay Gospel, How Pro-Gay Advocates Misread the Bible. Uh, Joe Dallas. He wrote many books, so look up books by Joe Dallas. Uh, The next author, she was not a Christian at all, didn't like Christ or what she knew about the church. There was nothing in her life that could explain why she became a Christian other than Jesus Christ. Her name is uh, Rosaria Butterfield. She wrote a book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, An English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith. Rosaria Butterfield. You don't understand. You can't understand. Yeah, but there are people who do. Joe Dallas said this, Homosexual people feel largely misunderstood by the church, which they feel sees them as either the worst or the weirdest of sinners. You see, he's helping us to understand what it feels like. And we would love to understand what it feels like. We have to do better in this. Some people who experience same-sex attraction from early on grow up hating themselves and how they are made. And it is painful when they open up and someone is right there to hit them with the truth. They're not even listening. So hard. If you get the chance, the privilege, the honor of talking with someone who's struggling through this, wondering what they think about it, boy, I would just challenge you, ask five questions for every one statement you make. Just listen long. Because there's a lot we have to learn. When someone says, you just don't, you just can't understand, this goes back to Claims about origin and meaning. Listen, I might not know exactly what it's like to be you, but I know why we exist. And we exist to love and serve Jesus and others. I know that. I know that you have a purpose given to you by God to love Jesus and to serve others. And to love others, to serve Christ. I know that's true about you. And I know God designed you to reflect his image through his son. He made you for that. You don't, can't understand. It's just your opinion. I was born this way. Uh, the last one is this. I've tried, even prayed to change, but I can't. You know what? You know what I've tried? I've tried. Can't. 
I've prayed about it. Can't. What do I say? It, it, it ends the conversation if I don't know how to respond when someone's like, I've tried. I've tried. Won't work. Uh, first of all, you have to know that even suggesting that a person could or should change is outrageous to our culture. Even though many in the homosexual lifestyle wish they didn't have these feelings and report that they would change if they could. To many, you suggesting that they could or should change is outrageous. It's hateful and and it could even be criminal. There are three states where it is illegal, criminal behavior for a counselor to suggest to a homosexual person who comes to them that they could or should change. If a person sets up an appointment with this counselor and says, I would just like help because I would like to know if I could change, it's a crime for that person to help. Three states. Jail time. Fine. For what? For what? For suggesting that you could help a person change. No, that's the way our society thinks about it, even though many in the lifestyle deeply wish they could change. So there's things being determined for you and for them by others. That's not right. Some have come in and sought help through counseling in their church. Some have tried to to change, to live the straight life, to leave the gay life, and then they're disappointed when they don't change, when their feelings, their attractions, their relationships... Don't change. But they wish they could. This brings up the question of how do we change? How does anyone change? If we don't have clarity, if we don't steer people in the right direction on how God changes us, we can give them false hope. And then they could, that could lead them into despair. Ray Boltz, who I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, is now living out the gay lifestyle loud and proud, but he's still... Uh, he still feels like he tried and he just couldn't change. In fact, one of the songs on his latest CD released in 2010 is called God Knows I Tried. And the lyrics say this, when they said I was a sinner, I was struggling with my youth and with the hope that God could change me, I believed it was the truth. I spent my whole life trying to be what they said I should. On the inside, I was dying because I never really He tried. In his mind, he tried. 33 years of marriage, four children. I tried. God knows I tried. He believes that he can't change who he is. That's what drove him to walk away from his marriage and walk into this life. What would you say if someone said, I've tried to change, I can't. Well, what do we believe about change? Well, when it comes to morality, we believe Jesus is the only solution to our problem with evil. And we believe about destiny is Jesus alone can bring us into a glorious future in heaven. We think everyone needs to be changed in every way by the Lord Jesus. Top to bottom, inside and out. If Jesus doesn't change you, you can't get into heaven. We're not saying anything unusual to the gay community. We're not setting the moral standard higher than it is for anybody else. Jesus said, if you don't lose your life, you'll never find me. We have to give it all up and be changed in every way. 
And here's what we think about that. We believe that change begins with a crisis of faith where we surrender everything to God, confess our sins, He forgives us, and we are saved. Hey, nothing changes really in your life until everything changes through Christ. That's what the Bible says. Nothing will really ever change in your life until everything changes because of Christ. It doesn't start with a process, a few baby steps, a little new class or book. It starts with a whole brand new you through faith in Christ. That's called conversion. That's called being born again. It's called being saved. And if you have a chance to talk to anyone who isn't saved, boy, that's where you go first. You could say, hey, let's, listen, let's just even leave this whole issue aside. We are broken in every way, fallen to the very depths of our being. And if we really want to know God, we have to do it through being saved by His Son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that Jesus stepped down from heaven and came into this world. He lived the perfect life. Yet we murdered Him, threw Him on a cross, threw Him in a tomb. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins, all of them. Then on the third day, he rose up again in triumph. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Only Jesus can take away all of our sins. Only Jesus can secure our place in heaven. But we have to admit that we have sins. We have to come to him. Then he gives us the free gift of eternal life. Then all the shame and all the guilt is taken away. That's where change starts. After the crisis of faith, when you are born again, then the process of change begins. The crisis comes first, the process comes second. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Boy, that gives me hope, because I'm not done yet. He gradually conforms you to the image of God. If you don't have a healthy understanding of how God changes you, you'll lose hope that he's changing you at all. What hope would a person who feels same-sex attraction, what hope do they have? Well, Joe Dallas lays out a few things in his book. He says, listen, here's our hope for change. We can have a change in our relationship to God. That's where everything begins. We can also have a change in our relationships to others. That doesn't guarantee that you become straight or get married someday. Some do. Others find joy in the single life. Change in relationships to others. You'll also experience a change in your mindset, how you see yourself and how you see the world around you. These will lead to a change in your behavior. But salvation does not relieve you of all of your fallen sexual desires. So you can see a change in the frequency and the intensity of your homosexual attractions over time, but they might never go away in this life. Don't be surprised. This is what we believe. We believe God made you a sexual being. We don't think homosexuality is a plague that needs to be cured. Human sexuality is a wildfire that needs to be contained in every heart. Listen, this is the gospel. This is the truth. Only Jesus can completely restore you. Only in Jesus can God give you the acceptance and the love that you have been searching for. You can only find it in Christ. I'd like to pray with you right now as we close out. We don't have time for our last song, so we're all going to stand up right now, and we're going to pray together as we close this service. But as we close, I'd like you to just respond to what you heard 
by praying for the loved ones and the friends in your life who don't know Christ. And perhaps if you realize that you don't have the hope of the gospel in you, that you would surrender your life to that this morning. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the love that you gave us at the cross. Thank you for sending Jesus to save us for our sins. Lord, I think of those here today who have loved ones and friends, and they want to have great conversations with these folks who are uh, either exploring or engaging in the gay life. Father, I just pray that you would give us all necessary wisdom and understanding so that we can speak the truth with love. Help us to make every conversation count, never condescending, never condemning, never being judgmental, always pointing to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for anyone today hearing this sermon who will say, that's me, that's me, that's my life, that's my heart. Pray that they would understand just how much you love them and how your love works. That you don't love everything inside of them and you don't love everything they've done with their life but you made them to glorify yourself. You made them to know you. You made them to be born again by confessing their sins and receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Oh Lord, I trust there are some hearing this message today who would say, I want that, I want that. And I pray that they would just surrender right now saying, Father in heaven, forgive me for my many sins and they are many. Wash me clean, welcome me into your family, invite me into your kingdom. Fill me with your spirit and gradually over time show me what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Give me the hope that one day I will stand in your presence perfect, exactly as you intended for me to be. But while I walk through this life, help me to glorify you every step I take. We pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.